from from the precarious frozen waters of Russia's Lake Baikal to Miami in the throes of Hurricane Irma to Venezuela's mighty Angels Falls, water is Aquarella's main character. With director, I can't take it seriously. Yeah, it was, I'm sure it's going to be beautiful, but when I'm reading this, I'm just like, ah. Yeah, we're um, looking for this film to be beautiful and magical on screen, but we're not expecting like big plot from it. So I think. No, I don't think Water's going to turn out to be a villain. Or <laughs> <laughs> Water's not going to get pregnant. Like, yeah. um, Anyway, let me finish this fucking synopsis. It says, yeah, Water on. is Aquarella's main character, with director Viktor Kosakovsky capturing her many personalities in startling visual detail. Oh. I mean, he's, he's gendered Water, mate. He has gendered Water as a, as a female powerful force. He passes the badass bitch test, Water. It does, it does. And the litmus test... No, it doesn't pass the litmus test. Yeah, but, it, it, but, it, but if, we're, if we're genderfying Earth's elements, what are the male ones? Because uh, are we just going to go down that like outdated route that the male macho characteristics must mean that Earth and fire are the manly elements? Like it can be that could be even more offensive to both women and men saying that because I think everyone's a, in their own spectrum of elements. I've never said that before. <laughs> that's a sentence I didn't think I would say. But no, I think you're, I think that's right. Like fire, fire is like traditionally a male symbol or element, but no, that's not the case. We know that just wow. by living. Wow. Well, after that rant, mate, your LinkedIn your LinkedIn bio should read something like Will Paxton. Elemental spectral. Yes, I am. I am on the elemental spectrum, and I'm and I'm proud of it. <laughs> you should become an activist. Yeah. Water is manly. Water is manly. Exactly. Exactly. Um, right. Anyway, moving swiftly on. <laughs> um, <laughs> the next film we're going to see, which isn't quite as abstract, but it's still quite weird, is called Dream Away. Um, it's a documentary um, coming out of Egypt. Um, and it's been kind of touring around a bunch of different festivals and it tackles the struggles of uh, it's basically it's set in Sharm El Sheikh which is the resort town in Egypt but it's essentially filmed in this hotel resort where no one's really going there anymore uh, because the tourist trade out there has kind of collapsed as a result of kind of kind of the civil unrest and all the difficulties the country's facing um and i mean will you've seen the trailer for this as well right yes i have what i gleaned from it is it's this really kind of surreal like story of a bunch of young people who have big dreams stranded in this hotel that isn't making any money um it looks absolutely bizarre it looks really interesting it's a first feature length documentary for a director called um omara marawan omara Nice. Um, hey, should be pretty cool. That should be very exciting. Um, what about the other two films we're yeah, seeing? Yeah, so then? I've got the other two. Um, the other two films we have. Um, the, so, um, is it so the winter off too off my skin? No. So the so the winter to my skin. I think. So the winter to my skin. Right there we go. Sorry, that's just because it, I have the article here which explains what the film is, and I'm also also read up on it, and nowhere has the title of the film. Anyway, um, So the Winter to My Skin is a film by um, Jamil X.T. Kubeka, 
Um, and it follows the story of John Kepe. He's a legendary out- outlaw from the early days of apartheid. And the film is set in 1950. Um, and this is not long after the all-white National Party gained power and at- apartheid became an entrenched system. Um, it covers the last ch- uh, last chase of the white African sheep ranchers as they close in on the bandit who stole from their flocks to give the people who were dubbed natives in the local press. So they give the... Give the ch- give the sheep ranchers they try and steal from it i can't anyway it's it looks very exciting i watched the trailer and it kind of looks like a jane got your gun um true grit um kind of mixed mixed with this um apartheid tribal um idea and it's it looks the cinematography looks incredible absolutely well, it looks, incredible. It, what i got from it is it kind of looks like a south african robin hood story yes yes like, very much that uh, it, it, it looks it looks fascinating it looks really well shot it's probably the highest budget of the films we're going mm, oh no the next one is but it, it's compared to the two random as fuck films I was just describing <laughs> this is a this is a much more I wouldn't say it's a blockbuster but it's like it's a proper big production I can imagine There's this a lot of, lot of money that's gone into this it was actually it was screened at a South African film festival and I think it was banned uh, oh, really? from some others uh, yeah, I think it's it, it like I think that it's kind of been dubbed controversial, but the director doesn't like the fact that it's dubbed controversial because in it, it it's controversial in terms of some kind of like political public opinion, but not in terms of its content. Like it's not like it's being banned in places because it's like really perverse or fucked up or nasty. It's just being banned as kind of like a power play. Yeah, definitely. Um, because it's kind of bringing to light very serious issues. And I think the South African government were kind of trying to whitewash it to a degree. Um, but yeah, absolutely fascinating one. That one's going to be really interesting. I would love to see this film do well either at the Oscars or Sundance. Because um, it just looks like it's got the scale and it's got um, to be really, really powerful. Uh, yeah, so the next film, uh, this is Netflix has, str- has stricken uh, the biggest UK deal um, on Michael Cole's musical Been So Long. This was based on a, um, oh, what's it, what was it based on? Um, it was it was based on a stage show with um, m- with the gu- Arthur Darville uh, in it, who played Rory in Doctor Who, and that was directed by Tinge Christian, who did Dunkart, and this is also directed by Tinge Christian, and it's got Michael Cole, who was in Chewing Gum, Arisna Kenny, and it's basically um, a musical set in Camden. Um, and it's, we don't know much more about it. It's a sort of modern day romance. There's um, no trailer, is there? No, trailer, no trailer as of yet. This film. Um, it, it sounds really interesting. I love kind of indie musical theatre films. There was a film recently called um, London Road and Bloom, um, which was um, originally based on a national theatre show that came to the screen. Olivia Colman was in it. And I quite like these gritty UK musical films. Um, so I'm very excited about this film in particular. I think, it'd be, I think it's going to be very, very exciting. Um, yeah, it sounds wicked. And I think uh, to acquire it, Netflix has spent a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Like it's um it's been one of the largest like Netflix UK acquisitions in terms of Netflix original films, um which shows that they care about it. I think you know, dare I say, it sounds as if from some of the creative direction, it's got a bit of a Moulin Rouge vibe, uh, but kind of bringing it to the UK and yeah, it's going to be colourful, it's going to be exciting, it's going to be romantic. It should be a really good film. Yeah, definitely. And it's got Joe Dempsey who plays Gendry in Game of Thrones in it. So what more can you? Oh ask really? For? Yes, it does. Is he one of the? Is he one of the main characters? I think he's one of the supporting, not main. Um, but okay. yes. 
Um, I like him. He's a good actor. Yeah, and I think it's a featuring the original songs that Arthur Darville, um, who is Rory Pond or Rory Williams um, in Doctor Who, it features his original songs. So that'll be interesting right, to see, okay. see um, in the film. Yeah. So well, I haven't seen him in. I haven't seen him in anything other than Doctor Who. So that will be refreshing. Yeah, I've only seen him in Broadchurch, and that's apart. And apart from that, that's it. But yeah, no. So those that's the four films we are going to see at the London Film Festival. Uh, obviously, we would have we would have kind of hoped to have seen some of the uh, kind of Oscar season movies that are being shown there, especially because they're coming out. You know, they're showing them a couple of months in some cases before they're even out. But you know, you take what you can get, and next year you never know. We might have enough clout to get a delegate pass or something really crazy. I mean, who knows? Fingers um, crossed. Fingers crossed. We did actually try and blag our way through that. We did apply for it, and they were just like, "Nah, <laughs> you're not getting, you're not, getting, <laughs> no. you're not nah, nah. <laughs> Come back to us when you got a hundred thousand subs." Yes. Um, but yeah, no, that's uh, so. That's from the London Film Festival. It's from the tenth to the twenty-first of October. It's not only new screenings of films. There's talks with like various different actors and directors. Um, there's still tickets for things. Like, there's a lot of things going on there that aren't very big. Um, they're not cheap, sadly, um, but there's a lot of cool things going on, even if they're not things that you necessarily heard of. So um, if you are keen for it and you're in London, there's a whole fortnight of it, so go and check it out. Yeah, definitely. Um, next thing next thing up is the news segment, mate. Now, I think we've got a pretty exciting news segment. We have got a lot of news this news segment. Judging, judging, judging by the news that I'm going to be relaying it's pretty, it's pretty fucking good and i know you and i know what's happened in the last week so i fucking know what some of your news is gonna be oh yeah it's like it's really funny it's really funny like dear listeners because i've started to get into this rhythm of you know me and will try not to tell each other about the news articles we're going to bring up each week um but sometimes it's unavoidable because i'll find something and i'll be like oh this is sick but then i'll think about it for a minute and i'll be like no will's definitely also got that <laughs> we'll have like this little we'll have like this little power struggle on Facebook Messenger about who's going to talk about what bit of news. Um but you know, I think we found our rhythm. If we found we found our like, balance. If, if there's anything ever Star Trek or Doctor Who related, it's even if I find it interesting, I'm just going to wait for Will to pick it up. <laughs> um, yes, very very true. <laughs> and vice versa. Um, what's your first bit of news though, mate? Um, it's something Doctor Who related. <laughs> well, no, actually, the Doctor Who related news comes at my news too. However, my news one. Oh, you bastard! I know, I know, trickery. Um, so my news one is the big TV news um, of the last week and a half is the Emmy. Emmys have just ha- happened, so I just of thought course, I'd ru- I yeah, just thought I'd just yeah, run yeah. through some of the main highlights. Um, so, the, I think the most primetime Emmy wins was to the wonderful Mrs. Maisel, the comedy. Um, I haven't watched that. Have you? Are you I'm not even I familiar with that. I have never watched that. I was very excited though that Alex Bornstein, who won the Best Supporting Actress in the comedy, because she is the voice of Lewis from Family Guy, and that's yeah, been, yeah, yeah. So that is very exciting because I, I don't think she's worked a lot. She's worked like Did in. Did you bit say parts. Lewis? Yes. Lois. Oh, Lois. Did you know what character you were referring to? Yeah, yeah. Lois, Lois like... and Lewis are interchangeable, surely. No, they're not. Uh, one is a male name, one is a female name. I suppose. Not. What? No, Louis. How you... is right, how, 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 how do you spell Lewis? L O. I, I, I now can't oh, spell. No, I don't oh, ignore no, that. Will, ignore that. Will, no. <laughs> so Lewis is L E W I S, right? Oh, Lois yeah. is L O I S. You can't. Are you have... thinking of Louis? Maybe I'm thinking of Louis. Lu- oh right, because that's L O U I S. Well, I'm glad that the English graduate. Oh spell. mate, what a what a conundrum! What a conundrum! <laughs> um, so yes, um, Tandy Newton also won at the Emmys. Uh, Claire Foy 
she one... Thani, did you see did you see Thandie Newton's acceptance speech I it was did, one of yes. the sweetest things it was lovely like, it was so if lovely if anyone hasn't watched it go and watch it it's, it's, it's beautiful um, however Darren Chris's acceptance speech um, for winning for the assassination of uh, Gianni Versace Gianni Versace yeah um, he said this thing of ladies and gentlemen you're about to witness me being so emotional and I was like what a, what a dick what why are you saying that? Yeah, like, not sure. Oh God, wanker. Yeah, I know. It doesn't. It does screams wanker alert, doesn't it? Um, Game of Thrones uh, won the big award of the night. Um, Peter Dinklage also um, won best uh, supporting actor in that category. I'm not yeah, sure Peter play. Dinklage deserves that one for this role. Have Game you of watched Thrones. Game of Thrones though? Yeah, I've watched all of Game of Thrones. I think he deserves it for this season. For this season. Well, all right. Who were the other Who were the other nominees in that category? Well, there was a lot of people in Westworld. Um, hang on. No, yeah, hold on. Get it. What is it? Best male supporting. Yes. Hold on. I'll look it up as well. Yeah. What have you found? So um, the other actors up for the award were Joseph Fives from The Handmaid's Tale, David Arbor from Stranger Things, Mandy Patinkin from Homeland, and Matt Smith from The Crown. Out of that list. Maybe you're right that Peter Dinklage is, is, is up there. Oh, no, no, no. See, that's made me disagree now because what? I didn't know those. I would then say that David Harbour from Stranger Things deserves it. I think it was phenomenal what he did in the second season of that show. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he deserves it. Or maybe Matt Smith for The Crown. I, thought, I was thinking know, I Matt Smith fin- for The Crown. I haven't finished season two, but in season one, he does a damn good job. Um well, I also this I've just seen this as well. Nikolai Costa Waldo was also nominated also for Game of Thrones, which yeah. then puts the question like in the last season especially he had a lot more uh, of a art, emotional story arc than Tyrion did. Um, so I would yeah, I would did. argue that he he sh- if he was going to win it he should have won it. I will say that Peter Dinklage is a good actor. I will say that he's terrible in Avengers three, but he is a good he is a good actor and well done to him. But the main I, thing, I, I, I disagree. I, I I don't think he's a very good actor. I just think he's very good in that role. Oh, see, I... you know one one of the other only one of the only other things I've seen him in. Uh, film wise was he was in three billboards and he's only a supporting character but I thought it was fucking crap and I feel like they only gave him it because they wanted to get him in another big film that would get him some noirity see I really right. liked him in Days of Future Past and that's what I also based him oh yeah alright yeah, yeah he's not bad in that um, um, the last bit of Emmy news which is my thing is Drag Race I'm just going to queen oh, out about win? Drag Race Jake Drag Race has made history Drag Race, um, oh my God. Drag Race has won five Emmys. Outstanding host for a reality or reality competition. Outstanding costumes for a variety, non-fiction or reality program. Outstanding reality competition program. Directing reality. And the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Hairstyling for a multi-camera series or special. Now, the person who won the hairstyling was actually a queen from Drag Race in season three. So RuPaul is getting nominated, the show's getting nominated, and also queens who have been competing on the show are getting nominated as well. It is also... What, it is also in the whole of the years of the Emmy, no show reality-based has won the outstanding host and the um, best reality show. So it may, it begs the question: Is Drag Race a fringe thing anymore? Is it now? Is it now become mainstream? If it's winning that I many Emmys, I, do, I just I just don't think it's been a fringe thing for about a year and a half. Oh yeah, for a year and a half now, it's been it's been like maybe even two years. I, I like I think it's great that it's getting this this representation, this acknowledgement because it is in terms of just if you if you take if you strip all reality shows down to their core that they are reality shows, like it's one of the better ones regardless of its subject matter. Yeah, and I think that, I think the same thing about Queer Eye, which is why I was really glad that Queer Eye's been kind of picking up some awards here and there. Um, in terms of other things that happen, though, mate, 
Um, Pickle Rick, the episode from season three of Rick and Morty won best animated program uh, or like episode of an animated program, which I think was well deserved. Like the choreography of that episode alone is just ridiculous. Yeah, definitely. Um, US, USS Callister won television movie, which is the Black Mirror episode, uh, which is pretty good. Um, and are there any others? There was another really cool one. What was it? Atlanta won something. I can't remember what it was. Was it Zazie Beats one? Maybe. Um, uh, maybe. You, you, you haven't watched Atlanta, have you? I've never watched it. I know that there's... Um, there, I've watched one episode of the first season, which is the news one, which is a sort of a yeah, separate yeah. entity to the rest of the show. But um, I, I, I've heard amazing things about it. So it's a phenomenal show. It's one of, the be- one of the best shows out there at the moment. But there's an episode in season two called Teddy Perkins, which is kind of like a creepy 45-minute long episode kind of revolving around this weird, austere, rich white man that lives in a house. And in the episode, like you, you realize, you, like either you realize in the episode or you realize afterwards when like Twitter was going insane about it. But somewhere along the line in the episode, you everyone kind of stops and realizes that the creepy austere white man in the episode is actually Donald Glover playing very, very heavily in makeup. Wow. Um, and someone went as Teddy Perkins to the Emmys with Donald Glover and Lakeith Stanfield um, and Zazie Beetz, which is just really, really creepy. And like Twitter was going crazy about trying to figure out who it was that was actually under the makeup. And I think it hasn't been confirmed, but the best um, guess is that it's Stephen Glover, which is his brother. Oh, interesting. Because um, they, have, they have a resemblance. Um, but yeah, no, very interesting. Yeah, no, so the Emmys was cool. The Emmys was cool, yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, my first bit of news, it's I mean, it's not something I'm particularly excited about, but I just kind of saw this pop up on my screen the other day. I was like, oh, fucking hell, here we go. Here's all these movies at once. Um, Will Smith is just one of the most likeable people in Hollywood at the moment. Like, he's killing it as a YouTube vlogger. Like, I don't know if you've seen any of these videos, Will, but, like, Will Smith's one of the biggest vloggers out there at the moment. Yeah. And he's just he's just so entertaining. And he does these videos called, like, Hashtag Will Talks or something, where he just sits down in front of the camera and tells, like, just a fucking ridiculous story from, like, his life as a celebrity. And he tells this one story once of, like, the first and only time he's ever met Michael Jackson. And if you haven't seen that video, like, it's so funny. Like, go and go and look it up on YouTube. Um, but speaking of him, I was thinking the other day, like, if he's doing all this YouTube stuff, like, is he doing any more films at the moment? What's going on? And then it's bounced up on my screen. Um, they've confirmed his kind of filming schedule for, like, the next fucking three years. Um, he's going to film Bad Boys 3 pretty soon because the script Ooh. is ready for it. Um, he's then going to go on to screen to film Bright 2, which is a sequel to the Netflix film, which is him playing a cop with an orc sidekick, um, which I'm going to be honest, it looked great in principle, but just kind of fell very flat. It wasn't anywhere near as good as it could have been. Um, so hopefully this won't just drag it even further through the mud. Um, but off the back of this, they've also confirmed his shooting dates for Suicide Squad 2. And they've said that the script is finished. Right. Interesting. Now, 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 there's not really, as far as I'm aware, there's not really any more info on Suicide Squad yet. I think it's it's heavily assumed that Margot Robbie and Jared Leto will return, especially because they are currently working on 
pre-production for their Harley Quinn film, which features the two characters played by the same actors. Um, however, they haven't given any indication of if the other Suicide Squad members are set to return or if it's going to be shaken up a bit. They also haven't given it haven't, haven't given the film a rating or a prospective rating. They haven't said if it's going to be R-rated or not. And David Ayer is not attached. Like he's he's not going to be back for the next Suicide Squad film, um, which is a good thing. Which is a really really good thing. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, are you excited for the next Suicide Squad outing? I, not really. No, um, I, no. I think. But but then but then. It depends if they yeah. get the right script, and if it depends if they try and make the film that Suicide Squad might have been, if, if not for the reshoots. I, 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 I think the only thing they could possibly do is claw it back to a situation where it ends up being a... Because the thing about the Suicide Squad film was, yes, everyone hated it, but it was it was massively commercially successful. Um, it, was re- it did really, really well at box office. Um, but you had a lot of people who kind of felt a bit duped afterwards. Mm. Um, I, I think the only thing this film could do is become a little bit more violent and a little bit funnier and have a more enigmatic villain. Um, and I think that's something that could happen. That's something that could very well happen. But I think it, it it will suffer as a result of a string of DC films that are on the way, including the standalone Joker film, which is, you know, my love and my, my baby. My and love I, and I my baby. Wait, I, cannot, I cannot wait to carry on watching it grow. Um... <laughs> Like there are so many, I, I think DC needs to choose a direction and stick with it. They can't cling on to the dregs of this like really shit five year period they've had of blockbuster movies by doing Suicide Squad two and a Harley Quinn film. They either need to just let it all die a death and take these cool new directions that they're exploring, or they're going to be caught juggling both. And I think everything's going to suffer because of it. Yeah, I think you might be right. I don't know. Mad, mad sceptical is the point I'm going to make. However, I do love a bit of Will Smith. I think he was the only shining light in that film. Um, hopefully, he'll do something good for the next one. Definitely, definitely. Right, do you want me to go on to my next piece of news? Yeah, go for it. Now, my next piece of news is the new trailer for Doctor Who. Um, oh, of course. Yeah, there we course. go. Um, so, the new trailer sort of, it, it, it doesn't really tell you that much. Um, I just picked up some key things that I thought was interesting about the tape. The trailer, um, the colour, this colour scheme, um, and the cinematography has shifted. It's gone sort of more vibrant and more. Um, it's much more welcoming than sort of the Stephen Moffat era, or definitely, or even the reality-based cinematography of the Russell T Davis era. Um, right. Yeah, it, the dialogue's quite snappy, but it's also quite child-friendly, is what I noticed. It seems very yeah. like the um, the mantra that's been put behind this is "Let's get a shift on," and it sounds like it's a very sort of it's 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 gone even younger at age which is what i didn't want i wanted to yeah, get, go it, slightly it's older not, it's not it, like based on the trailer i agree it's not going the direction i wanted it to it's going very light very fun a an emphasis on more characters and less struggle yeah um, well there was no we mo- might we might be wrong but there is no bit of fear really for me in the whole of that trailer well i don't think there was any monsters at all <laughs> i don't think i seen no. saw a single monster or recurring villain or any threat apart from sort of bangs of laser guns and stuff like that also what was interesting is that they used a pop song behind it they used glorious yeah, by Macklemore and Skylar Grey. Macklemore. Yeah, yeah and i was thinking what well, that's another interesting t- 
interesting riff on that is that Doctor Who trailers in the past haven't used that. They used quite cinematic music. They they have song scores. So I really does that mean that in the neck in Doctor Who it's going to have a score like the the old series or or could they be pop songs in Doctor Who? Now that yeah. would worry me. That would yeah, really I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I, I am, I am skeptical as well. The problem that I had with it though took on a very different tone. Um, I watched it, and I, I like Jodie Whittaker. I think she's a great actress, and I think she will do a good job with the direction she's given. But what I didn't like was how chirpy and how positive and how happy the Doctor was. Now I know that he's regenerated, right? But it's very obvious through the previous seasons that that weight is carried through each regeneration and he doesn't just forget all the shit that's come before him. And I think that they're, they're running the risk of doing the character a bit of a disservice. Um, I'm not saying that Doctor Who, male or female or whatever, has to be tormented and that has to be a narrative, but... I refuse to believe that after all the events of everything that's come in the last like six seasons of Doctor Who, the Doctor would just regenerate and just be this chirpy. Yeah, I like agree. the Doctor, the Doctor always has that kind of sad twinge to the character, and I do, it looks as if they're kind of just washing their hands of it. Um, I get why they're doing it, but I think it's going to piss off a lot of diehard fans. And historically, when um, in the not just the series that was on since two thousand and five, in the earlier series. When the Doctor Who got campy instead of Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy era, the show started getting cancelled. Um, mm. Like that was that was the transition to less and less viewership, and then movement of time slot schedules, and then it just went. So I worry that if it goes campy and not um, quite shocking, which is what the two thousand five series is, it's not going to stick as Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, I agree. Um, but, you know, it remains to be seen. October 7th, the first episode, I think we will probably give it a review. Yeah, I we'll think so. We'll probably talk about it, because, you know, it, it's been ramping up for a while now. We're both looking forward to seeing it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll do, like, a five-minute five minute facts bit on it. Five-minute facts. Um, like that. <laughs> um, my next bit of news. Surprise, it's more Joker news. <laughs> We've got some new bits. Now, Will uh, very kindly shared this information with me because it didn't actually fall on my radar this week. Um, I've done a bit more digging than him, and there's even been some stuff that's come out in the last three or four hours that he's not aware of, which is very exciting. So the first bit of news is that Thomas Wayne has been recast. He's no longer Alec Baldwin, which is great. Um, he's a guy called, is it Brett Cullen? Yes. Brett Cullen, I think he's called. I looked him um, up and I you, can't... You would recognise... Yeah, like, you would recognise him from some things. He's, like, that stereotypical, um, powerful, political, West Wing, like, white male actor. He's that kind of guy. Um, he's not really anything special. He's just had quite a successful career. Um, I, I don't know what he's going to do in this role. They've already made it very clear that... Um, they're changing the the Batman universe narrative a bit to include a kind of relationship between Thomas Wayne and Arthur Fleck, who is the Joker, um, which isn't something that's really been trodden before. I don't really know how they're going to do it, um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Maybe it'll be good. Um, what's more important, though, is that everyone's been hypothesising for a long time over what Joaquin Phoenix is going to look like as the Joker. We saw some set photos a couple of weeks ago um, showing him as kind of like a meek Arthur Fleck character in like a, a, a kind of a suit and a, a 
beige jacket mm. and it looked like the set photos showed that he was like like uh, taking the piss out of an actual clown like on the side of a street um which we must assume is in gotham um but now um todd phillips shared on instagram a 30 second teaser which is a video uh, slowly panning in on Wacken Phoenix's character um, in his kind of like clothing that we already saw, but with like flashes of what the Joker's going to look like, kind of flashing across his face very quickly as you get closer and closer, and then it ends showing you what the iconic Joker makeup is going to look like for this iteration, um, and it looks incredible. It essentially looks like they've trodden a line between kind of the the, the kind of more um, classic clown that like Cesar Romero was as the Joker in the 60s TV series but also kind of retaining kind of the, the straggly kind of green hair of of um, Heath Ledger, Ledger. In, in the 2008 Dark Knight film um, it's got that kind of like but it, but it doesn't look as gritty as the Heath Ledger Joker it looks more um Almost for me, it looks a bit more manic, to be honest, because you you know that Heath Ledger's character has got those fucked up scars on his on his lips under the makeup. You know that he is an older iteration of the Joker. He's very messed around. He's probably um, mutilated himself some more and stuff like that. But this Joker is um, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is literally a failed comedian who is um, kind of exploring his psychopathic traits. And the the makeup is very slapdash. It looks very simple, but very menacing. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it just it looks fucking amazing. And what, Will, you're not aware of, is the reason why that Instagram video came out is because there have been paparazzi all around the set, because it's an open set filming outdoors, and the paparazzi actually um, recorded a video of a scene being filmed. Wow. Um, and that came out a few hours ago online. And essentially, Todd Phillips came out kind of simultaneously and said, well, you know, we wanted to get it out there ourselves so that you could see what we've done rather than just take it from them. Um, and he actually he released a statement. He said, here's the issue. We have paparazzi all over our set at every turn. And it bums me out that they constantly put out their bad shots. So I figure may as well put out some good ones. And so he like released it. But anyway, TMZ is obviously who broke the video of set. And it's a video of a subway train pulling up. And then the doors open and people are like running out of it and screaming. They look terrified. And then there's a bunch of clowns that come out with um, Joaquin Phoenix being one of them in this like maroon jacket. And he pulls off this kind of mask thing and he chucks it in a bin. And underneath the mask, he's got his Joker makeup on. And it just looks phenomenal. Like, and, and obviously the Paps have got loads of proper, like high quality images of him with his makeup and him kind of smiling. And I, I cannot stress enough like if the one thing after Jared Leto that we were worried about was the kind of character design of the Joker after having that like skinny oddball obviously fake tattoos terribly bright dyed green hair approach yeah like Joker rest the assured, video game yeah yeah exactly rest assured this is terrifying this is not just playing Heath Ledger's iteration again it's new and it's it's Oh, it's perfect, mate. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. It's going to be so good. Yes, yeah, so, so good. 
and and it, they're, they're eyeing up a an October 29 release date, which is smack bang in time for Oscar season. So October 29, as in October 29th. 29, 2019. Oh, 2019. Right. Okay. It's like 2029. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Lord. Years in it's boyhood. It's just. It's just. <laughs> yeah. They've got. They've, Joaquin Phoenix is growing old with the joke at night. Anyway. Um, so my next piece of news is um, Bond Twenty Five news, the film that is oh. the film that is not to be named. Um, so that so they found a director, which is very exciting. Um, it's called he, he is Kerry Joji Fun, Fukan. Oh my god, Funagawa, Funagawa, Funagawa. He's the guy. He's the guy that did True Detective season one, right? Yeah, the guy who did who's directing Maniac at the moment, who did Beasts of No Nation and True Detective. Well, no, did Mani- Maniac's out, mate. Maniac's out. Well, I it, I know it's so exciting. I need I need to watch the first episode. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, have you seen it yet? No, but it's. I've been. I, I I had a Netflix account that's been taken away, unfortunately. I'm gonna get on a. I'm gonna get on a hard binge later <laughs> of BoJack Horseman and uh, Maniac. I'm. I'm very excited. But, and obviously, the Bodyguard finishes tonight. That's gonna be exciting. I know. All just very um, exciting TV. But no, I'm very excited about this. This um, choice. Um, the, the the director has done some fantastic work. Um, True Detective season one for both of us. We talked about it a couple of weeks in the pod- ago on the podcast. We love it so much. It's such a great series of TV. Yeah, um, yeah it is. Um, what's also interesting is that the regular Bond writers, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, have rejoined the project. Um, so originally, Danny Boyle brought to the project, project his own writer called John Hodge. Now, John Hodge left the project when Danny Boyle left the project. Um, and so Neil Purvis and Robert Wade joined the project immediately afterwards. And... Well, the Daily Mail reported this, so don't take it with a pinch of salt. That's what Empire said. But um, that what Neil Purvis and Robert Wade are supposedly doing is not in the creation of a full script to then get a director on board so they have a full product to sell to that director. And then a week after the news that those two writers came back, Kerry, the, um, the director, which I cannot pronounce, he who shall not be pronounced, um, um, it, it came on board with the project, so that's really interesting. Um, it's got also got a release date. It's the fourteenth of February, twenty twenty. Um, so oh, it's quite a way away. It is quite we're a way away. See it next year, then, Jesus. Which means that, mate, we're not going to see whoever the new Bond is until fucking twenty twenty three, are we? Like, no, exactly. Which means, which means that the current bookies' favourites are just—they're going to be. I'm not. I'm not saying they're going to be long gone, but they're just not going to be the cream of the crop anymore. Like the one thing that the one thing that piqued my curiosity though was Funagawa, the guy that's directing this. Have we? Do directors tend to continue to film Bond films? Have Have they done consecutive films, or is it like it's a new director every time? Uh, well, the last um, usually. I think the same director was the, was the person who did Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale. He also did Goldeneye. Um, and then, obviously, oh my gosh, who's the guy who directed the last two Bond, last two Bond films? Um, I, I have no idea. He's, um, um, he very, very, Sam very, Raimi? Um, no, yeah. he's the guy who did the Spider-Man. No, but Sam, it's Sam, it's Sam someone. It's Sam someone. Oh, oh my gosh, um, Bond news. This is embarrassing. I'll just type in Skyfall. Skyfall director. It's Sam, Sam Mendes. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that, okay. break, that breaks my heart to know that. He also directed American Beauty, Sam Mendes. Um, yes, so, he, so... So so the point I'm trying to make is there's a possibility that if he does well, Funagawa's going to be asked back for the next film. And what piqued that... my curiosity is you just said that he did Beasts of No Nation, mm-hmm. which is an Idris Elba film. Exactly. Has that got people on fire? Has that got people going crazy? Because I haven't seen this news. Uh, yeah, Idris Elba it has been heavily rumoured for the part. However, I just think... 
that yes, Idris Elba was in it, it, but it just you're 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 so right about the fact that this film is is still two two years away or one and a half years away. Idris Elba Idris Elba is probably been the most consistent casting news about it. Or Tom Hardy. Or Tom Hardy. Um, but I fucking I can't stand that idea anymore. Like I've I, like I never liked it, but I'm so out of love with that idea now. Yeah, but also, wouldn't you? I don't know about if I was a producer or a um, executive producer on a Bond film uh, or Barbara Broccoli. I I don't know if I'd hire the same director for Craig's last film as the start of a new franchise. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Very so, good point. Yeah, so I, I would hire a new director because it's a new start. They can then shift the franchise into whatever direction they want. I think this is just to direct um, Daniel Craig's swan song. Um, but mm. uh, but that'll be interesting if um, Idris Elba becomes attached because of the director. So that's my last bit of news. Okay, fab. Well, my final bit of news. Um, we've had a couple of trailers in the last week, mate. Um, one is something that we've been very excited about for a very long time, very anticipated, and the other is just one that I very recently have become very interested in. So that one is Mary Poppins Returns. So coming out of Christmas time, Emily Blunt's playing Mary Poppins, taking over from Julie Andrews. It's a sequel. Uh, Mary Poppins is returning 25 years later, and Michael Banks, the little boy from the original, is now Ben Whishaw with his own kids. Um, the cast has got... Lynn manuel Miranda in it as a street lamp lighter. Um, I don't really get that because it's set in London 25 years later. D- did they still have lamp lighters in, like, 1987? Um, unless, it, unless it's the winter of discontent, I can't think of any reason why. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, but the cast, I mean, fucking hell, you've got Colin, Colin Firth, Angela Lansbury, Dick Van Dyke, who is Dick 94... Van Dyke. He's reprising his role, and there's a bit, and there's a bit in this trailer where he gets up and does like a break dance on a table with some dancing spoons. Um, <laughs> Emily Mortimer, and Julie Walters. Um, it's going to be great. It's directed by Rob Marshall, that directed Into the Woods a few years ago, um, and the trailer. So I've been excited about it for a while, especially because of the cast. But I started watching the trailer and for the first half of the trailer, I thought, oh, you know, this is looking all right, but it's looking a bit average. Like, where's that spark? Like, nothing's really being particularly magical. And then all of a sudden, it was like the trailer fucking heard me and went, all right, let's crank this up to 11. And you've seen it, haven't you? You've seen yeah, the trailer yeah. for this. The cartoons. It, it, goes, it goes insane. Like, it all of a sudden, it brings all these cartoons in with the real characters and it flashes through all these like, crazy-looking set pieces. Um, it just looks stunning and it took it from kind of the first half of the trailer I kind of felt the same way I felt about the Christopher Robin trailer now we still haven't seen that film and I've been told it's good but it just seemed a little bit dull Mm. and that's what I thought with the start of Mary Poppins Returns the trailer I thought that it was like oh is this just going to be a bit of a generic well-spoken British like Nanny McPhee re- wipe you know uh rewipe rewipe (laughs) (laughs) but it doesn't it looks great it looks excellent should have placed some more faith in them Mm. uh comes out on december 19th let's hope that dick van dyke remember it have you heard that rumor have you heard that thing No. what's what's this dick van dyke was drunk throughout the whole of the mary the original mary poppins film and so does not really does not remember a single scene that he filmed of that mary poppins oh it's like it's like Matthew Perry claiming he can't remember seven seasons as Chandler on Friends. <laughs> or... Yeah, literally. God, that's depressing, isn't it? <laughs> um, the other trailer that came out this week was 
we finally got a feature-length trailer for Captain Marvel. Yes. Um, starring Brie Larson, fucking Jude Law. You've got uh, Samuel L. Jackson in there, and he's had some like mad de-aging stuff done because he's playing Nick Fury, but he's playing Nick Fury before you've ever seen Nick Fury. Um, it's all looking, it's all looking cool, right? You've got Ronan the Accuser back from the first Guardians film. He's in there. Um, it, it all looks interesting. It looks like a blend between Thor and Captain America for me. Um, it's kind of, it's got a very Captain America vibe in terms of kind of how it's shot and what it looks like, especially the scenes on Earth. But then it kind of obviously in the trailer reminds you of the fact that she's got kind of super like alien abilities and it kind of becomes a bit Thor, maybe a little bit Guardians-esque. I I hope that it's a good blend of all of the interesting things they've learned in this last big phase of the MCU. But for me, after all this hype, it did seem a bit generic. Yeah, I agree. I, I wasn't blown away. It's not... It, it does look like a film that is, generally speaking, going to play it safe. And I think that we've had the rug pulled from underneath us now. And we expect Marvel films to always have an element of stakes. And I just don't think this will have it. I agree. Um, I think this will be a passable, uh, entertaining outing. Um, I think Brie Larson will do a terrific job. I think Jude Law in whatever role he is. There's been some rumours about kind of different ideas. I Dumbledore! About that on the pod. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think it'll be good. I just don't think it'll be great. Yeah, I agree. I will say Samuel L. Jackson, the age work they've done on him is very impressive. The de-aging yeah. is, is very, very impressive that's happened with him. Um, and it's nice to see Agent Coulson back from Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and um, the original Avengers film. That's quite nice to see him back in uh, actually a film for once. But yeah, I'm excited for it. But I also agree yeah. with you. It does look quite generic. And I don't think, I've, I've don't, I don't think I'm that invested in Captain Marvel as a person or a character yet. I don't, I don't really think, unless you're a diehard comic book fan, I don't think anyone really can be yet. Um... And I think that this is going to this is going to duke it out next year with Wonder Woman 1984, and I think that that could turn around to be a really good film. Yeah, like we haven't seen any trailers or anything yet, but I know like we have a family friend that's working on it, and the creative direction, kind of like the old kind of they've they've gone and made it all retro apparently mm. um, without kind of you know obviously we can't hear much, um, but it, I think it sounds like it's going to look fucking cool. Um, and I think that maybe that will be a better film. Yeah, definitely. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. There is um one other bit I was going to bring up. Um, obviously, here on the Fifty Two Week Work Film Project, we kind of we've we've had a few debates about whether we think the Venom film is going to be any good. Um, now the Venom film comes out on October third, and neither me nor Will are particularly like we're going to go and watch it, obviously, and we yeah. will review it on the pod. There's a lot of good films coming out at the same time, though. I mean, we've got Bad Times at the El Royale. We've got a few other things. But we will go and do it, especially because I'm such a big fan of the Spider-Man universe. But there was one bit of news that is not like... It doesn't really change our opinion. I'm still quite ambivalent towards this film. I don't think it's going to be very good. But they cast Woody Harrelson in a role that hasn't been confirmed yet. And for a while... They've kind of, before it was confirmed that Riz Ahmed was going to be playing Carlton Drake and he would eventually in the film become the symbiote Riot, which is a character, um, they thought that Riz was going to be playing Carnage. 
Um, now that's been disproven. Um, however, they haven't confirmed whether Carnage is cropping up in the film in any other capacity. And Woody Harrelson came out the other day and confirmed that his character has a minor role in the film, paving the way for a bigger role in the sequel. That sounds very now, much like Carnage. It sounds very much like Carnage. <laughs> it's, it, 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 Carnage is a, he's a character called Cletus something who's a Cletus Clay. Like Cletus Clay, and he's he's a psychopath. And in the comics, um, Venom comes to break Eddie Brock out of prison when him and Cletus Clay are cellmates, and the Venom leaves like an offspring there, which which binds with Cletus. And the reason Carnage becomes even more powerful than Venom is because he kind of it gets in tune with his psychopathic tendencies, and it just makes him like the ultimate killing machine. Now, it's probably quite likely, isn't it, that towards the end of the Venom film, Eddie Brock is going to get locked up and meet Woody Harrelson's character. Yes. And I just yeah you know I just think unless there's some massive fuck off twist coming. I think that this only, like, yay, cool, Carnage is going to be in it at some point, but it only continues to prove that it, this film seems very generic and they really don't seem to care about the storyline. It just seems to be a very um, average, by-the-numbers superhero film. Yeah, I, I'm not that interested in the Venom film just because the trailers just the trailers didn't introduce Venom until trailer number three, I think it was, where they didn't even show the costume. It was all about the torturedness of Tom Hardy and even that... Felt a bit insincere. Yeah, it just felt weak and insincere. It did did feel insincere. But they also, um, like, I saw a a statement the other day where they were like, there was an article that was saying, like, it's going to be a PG-13 rating, but we're still expecting that there's going to be loads of violence and head chomping. It was like, hmm, this sounds similar. Where did we hear this before? (coughs) Suicide (coughs) Squad. Yeah, exactly. You can't can't make a film a PG-13 when it should be a 15 or an 18 and then kind of bait bait audiences into thinking yeah yeah like buy a ticket it's gonna be really violent it's gonna be what you want but it's not i also yeah i also just don't trust sony pictures with superhero films much more after the last fantastic four film or four um and and other 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 the the uh, the two amazing spider-man films were good but nothing special like spider-man homecoming um so it i just don't know how how good that, that the studios are at producing superhero films yeah, yeah, mad sceptical. Um, but, you know, remains to be seen. Um, that wraps up the news. The news! We didn't do that the first now, time. No, we didn't. We, I feel like we're moving away from it. Well, I think we've matured. <laughs> <laughs> Our audience has matured with us. Um, right, The Predator. Yes. The, the remake by Shane Black, who is known for Iron Man 3... Um, what else is he known for? But he's Anything? known he's known for the Nice Guys, uh, which is a film we love. Yeah, which is which is a cracking film. Cracking we didn't film. Think was going to be that good. Uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It was his directorial yeah, debut in two thousand five. Good yeah, film. Yeah. He was also uh, the, he also acted as Rick Hawkins in the original Predator film. He was the first yes. one to die, which is very which is so very interesting. He, he he's been attached to the Predator project since nineteen eighty seven. Yes, uh, since the original. Um, and it, it is very apparent when you watch this film that he does, he gets it. He gets what the Predator is meant to be. He gets what the audience want from a Predator film. Um, he understands the style. He understands that after all this time, they, they should stop trying to make it so uber serious and sci-fi and just make it funny, uh, make it entertaining, make it a proper 
popcorn flick. Now, this film has horrendously huge weaknesses, huge problems, but this was the experience I wanted from sitting down and watching The Meg. Yes, that. I I wanted this. I wanted. I wanted this to not be a not be a film. I wanted it to just be a movie that knows exactly what it is. It's like a throwback to the old kind of like straight to VHS like action films. So much of the film in style, it's kind of it's kind of like throwback. It's nostalgic, but it's not like Stranger Things where it kind of is heavily dependent on its nostalgia. It like takes the aesthetic um, without making it look too kind of this is set in the 80s you know what I mean like yeah. it, it kind of all the all the filming techniques it kind of felt like watching in terms of like the the soundtrack it's very kind of um, it sounds like a Steven Spielberg or a Jurassic it sounds like a Jurassic Park film or an E.T. film um, something that Ambland Entertainment would have done it's very kind of um, oh, I don't know how to explain it it's, it's an action adventure um it reminded me of Small Soldiers. Did you ever watch Small Soldiers? What Small Soldiers? Oh, that's our Small episode. Soldiers. Small Soldiers is a film about a kid who buys these like toys that are like action figurines, and then there's like some fuck up with the guys that make manufacture these these toys, and the Small Soldiers actually come to life, uh... and it's the and and it's like you have these like weird alien things called the Argonauts, which are like the goodies. And then you have like the commandos, which are like basically just a team of G.I. Joe characters. And the whole film is about these toy soldiers, like wrecking this real life town and fighting. Um, and it's it's just like that. That's, like if you yeah. haven't like if you haven't seen it, go and watch it. But it's one of those old, like, pretty crap, but very entertaining kids action movies. And it's like imagine taking that to a modern audience and but making it really gory. And definitely not making kids watch it. Like that's what the Predator was to me. Yeah, I really enjoyed the fact that it didn't shy away from being gory. It didn't shy away from being a proper action flick. I, I watched um, the original Predator because I had not originally watched it um, a couple of weeks ago. And what stuck out to me was how it was. It's so silly, but also you're invested in the story story the whole time with not that much dialogue, not that much exposition. It's just about the action. It's just about way that the, the way the, the the scenes are filmed, and I thought that was very important with this film. I really, and also I think what the first Predator film and what this Predator film gets right is the relationship all the, between all the characters. You do feel like there's a genuine team behind those um, sort of. It's is it is it they're sent on psychiatric leave or something like that. So there's a there's a group about six of them and they they are supposed to be sent on psychiatric leave, but they come together as this ragtag bag band of army soldiers. And yeah, like yeah, like PTSD ridden army soldiers that are all a bit crazy. Yes, and yes, all have a very terrible sense of humour, but that's what makes it so funny. I mean, you you, you do have the critics of this film. Um, which which kind of argue that this is a very very poor almost mocking portrait of of, of bad mental health. Um, while I agree, this film I don't think this film, let alone any film in this kind of genre, has like really has a responsibility to do 
to to be positive and to shed light on real like real issues. Definitely, I mean, we are we are we, we are talking about a film where you basically just have a set of maybe like ten characters set up from the beginning, and one by one they're picked off by this giant extraterrestrial beast in the goriest way possible. Like it's funny because it's not funny. It's trashy. It. It's not a good representation of anything in real life. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, l- least l- let alone healthy mental, like health. Um, <laughs> Med- so, mental so health or healthy health? I like that. Yeah, healthy mental health. <laughs> Um, I, I, no, I just, no, no, because I, I care about that stuff. And I think that there are, there are shows out there and there are TV shows out there, films out there that do a a phenomenal job of really kind of shedding light on stuff. I mean, even just watching Bojack Horseman, I've been cracking through the fifth season this morning and the, the, the interpretation, um, the visceral interpretation of depression, uh, living with depression that that show has is almost second to none. Um, but I don't think the predator is the place where people will either find themselves offended by and large or be seeking good guidance. Do you know exactly, what I mean? Exactly, exactly. Yes. So, so I, I just think, you know, like Team America World Police is an incredibly sexist film. Like, but it, it doesn't really have to answer to anyone in that regard do you know what I mean it's its own entity and it's not representing real life yeah I agree like it's, it's the kind of stuff like that um, and I think that what makes what makes the film um, and what make, what makes it so trivial I suppose is the sort of the, the trashy comedy but I also think that the supporting cast they have even though I don't think a lot, I think there's a, a lot of the problems with this film is that some of the jokes just don't land at all but I yeah, think no, some of them are so bad but I think that's I do think that's the writing and not the characters because you have oh completely you have Nebraska you have uh, Trevante Rhodes who is in Moonlight you have um, Keegan-Michael Key from Key and Peel. you have um, Boyd Holbrook who is the who is amazing in Logan um, as the main yeah, guy he's also in, he's, he's also the, the main guy from seasons one and two of Narcos yes yes definitely like he just like the whole a bit build up of build up of cast around this they handle the dialogue and its trashiness very very well so you feel invested and you feel like you're genuinely i feel, kind of feel like one of the bros in a way it, 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 uh yeah but ah uh, but see this is the i knew i i, I knew you're gonna bring up the word bro at some point now this is something that i had a, a thought i think about like i tried to persuade a mate of mine in the office to go and watch this with me and he said like nah it's not really my scene and i was like why not and he was like oh because it's just gonna be a bunch of like bro manly shit the whole time and I was like, yeah, yeah, I get you. And in the back of my head, I was kind of thinking, fuck, I hope this is a good action film, but I hope it doesn't just rely on that bro, dude, commando stuff the whole time. And what I liked about this film was, yes, it takes all of the trashy classic action stuff that makes all those old films great, but it also does away with some stuff. So, for example, it's not all trashy and bro. It's not all, like, bro-based humour. No, no, yeah. Like, there, there, is a, there is a bit of it. But it's not like when you watch the trailers and you realise like it's a bunch of six dudes that are fighting a predator. It's not as lad heavy as you think it's going to be by any means. Um, and there are some really strong female characters in it that are really interesting. Like Olivia Munn's character is probably one of the most interesting characters in the whole. Oh, definitely, film. yeah. Um, and the mum of Boyd Holbrook's son is also quite a, quite a good character. She had this, she has this really badass moment where like the CIA are raiding her house and she like calls him to alert him and then shoves a phone down the drain so they can't get it um i just like that bit i thought it was quite cool <laughs> badass um but another thing that i liked was the fact that 
Boyd Holbrook's lead character, the kind of like the male American sniper, like grizzled army vet. Um, they there was no romantic um, development in the film's plot. So he had the potential to rekindle his marriage with his estranged wife. Or he also had the potential to fall in love with the attractive doctor that he saves during the film, Olivia Munn's character, who's with them for most of the film. And I thought there was something kind of nice about the fact that it didn't go down the classic kind of male-dominated Hollywood action movie route of being like the, the hero has to end up with his heroine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, with the bros like whistling them along as well. Yeah. Yeah, like, like there was something kind of refreshing about feeling like they could do everything that a good trashy action film does without feeling like they had to include any kind of sex appeal. Yeah, I agree. And like, there's not even like there's not even with the two female characters. There's not even any kind of like bits that would be like not that I can remember. There aren't any bits that would be defined as kind of sex sells kind of moments in the film do you know what i mean i don't think so no i i, I really and, that, and, I, and i kind of respect them for doing that i kind of like I'm, I'm kind of kind of proud of them in a way for doing that i'm so proud of we, you we, we don't yeah but we don't have to rely on it do we no not at all um, and i think it's very interesting that i i am a per i, I hate bro culture a lot of the time and for me to say that hates, i feel like except when you're one of the bros except well exactly except for when i'm one of the bros and i feel like to make to this film's success in my mind is that it made me feel like one of the bros because the bros weren't awful people. They were just they were just they just had this camaraderie and own banter and etc. But it's that's it was not isolatory. It was not um, re- remotely like sexual into in, with what you just talked about with what with what they could go down. If anything, a lot of the story revolves around. Um, uh, Quinn McKenna's kid, Rory McKenna, and I really liked played the relationship. By, play, played by Jacob Tremblay, the perennial problem child in like every fucking film made I, in the last no. five years. Hold on, let me just read you out some of it because I knew you were going to bring him up. There's the, the, this young actor, right? He has played uh, the the boy in the film Room who's like messed up because he's been like kept in a room for years. Yeah. He plays a physically disfigured boy in a film called Wonder. He plays a like disturbed boy in a horror film called Before I Wake. He plays another autistic boy in a film called The Book of Henry. He like this kid just like I don't know I don't know what casting directors do, but they clearly look at him and go like, "Yep, yeah, you're like you're perfect to play a troubled child." I, I, what he can't ever go to the gym in his life because if he goes to the gym and gets treaded, he lost his, he's lost his career. He needs to look a bit weedy and a bit sad for the rest of his life. Imagine doing that. That's- yeah, it's like when the act, it's like when the actor um, who played Neville Longbottom in the Harry Potter films got ripped and really attractive, <laughs> and everyone, everyone on the internet freaked out. But there was just this one comment that Lincoln, I'll, I'll never forget it. It said something like, "Yeah, but he's not getting any more acting roles, is he?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's got a lot of magazines, but magazines don't don't equal cash. Um, yeah, definitely. I thought it was interesting. The um, going back to Predator, I thought it was interesting. The people that who were supposedly supposed to be in this film, but then didn't get cast. Did you hear about this? No. So, so uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to um, have a small cameo, but he declined because the cameo was too short. Are you kidding? Yep, that is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, in Batman and Robin, you know the Batman and Robin film. Um, he got paid 25 million and was the top billing by about 15 million for that film. 
They just they just paid so much for, and he's in about thirty minutes of that Batman Robin film. He just yeah. pays so much money. Then Fifty Cent also wanted to be involved in the film, but then dropped out. And then the main character was supposed to be played by Benicio del Toro. Um, however, a month later, Boyd Holbrook replaced him due to scheduling issues. Now I don't know what Arnold Schwarzenegger, Fifty Cent, and Benicio del Toro would have added to the film. I actually think it would have been quite distracting having. A lot Mate, of them if there. it was, if it was, like, yeah, but just think about it logically for a second. If you didn't have any of the characters that are in the film currently, but instead you had a ragtag clan made up of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Benicio <laughs> del Toro, and fucking Fifty Cent, like that, you don't even need a Predator, mate. That's a fucking movie right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It could be like Kings of Thieves, but just no. Actually, no, that would be odd. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I, I I thought the casting was all right. I don't think it was anything particularly special. Did you as well? There was another thing that happened with this film. Did you hear about um, them casting a registered sex offender? Oh, yes, I did hear about that. So this is this is fascinating. So basically, after they finished filming, um, Olivia Munn found out that there was a registered sex offender who was cast in a supporting, like a cameo role in one of her scenes, actually in her opening scene. Um, and complained to Warner Bros or whoever made the thing and it eventually transpired that what had happened was Shane Black had cast him knowingly Um, he'd cast him because he's a friend of his uh, from years back and this guy he's called like Stephen Stephen something um, Stephen Streichel or something like that he has been in a number of Shane's films including Iron Man 3 in little cameo roles um because Shane Shane claims he kind of, you know, he wants to try and get him back on the straight and narrow and kind of give him something to look forward to and kind of help his mate out kind of thing. Um, but he he cast him, not telling anyone about it, um, least of all the cast. And the role that he cast him in was as a jogger, a male jogger who kind of shouts kind of sexist remarks at Olivia Munn's character in the opening like scene with her. Um, about like her being really hot and stuff. I mean, I just what the fuck goes through your mind to think that that's like that's okay? Yeah, I've like, absolutely no idea. It shocked I, it, me like, when I when I saw that. I find it I find it quite fascinating because like the fallout from this hasn't really been that tremendous. But in my mind, Christ, like knowingly hiding the fact that someone has a criminal record let alone a registered sex offender and put them in a scene where they're making sexist remarks against a known attractive Hollywood actress. Yes. In in the current climate, like, to me, that's worse than fucking James Gunn making a few sexist tweets yeah. 20 years ago or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I find I find it amazing that Shane Black wasn't removed as a director for that kind of... Because that would be... I well, I think they could. They couldn't. They couldn't remove him because it all came out after the film. When it was, it came out about three weeks ago. It came out like a week and a half before the film came out, and they had to cut the final cut. Oh wow! Okay, because it was in the final cut of the film. There are there are, there are critics that have seen the scene. Oh my gosh, that that's amazing. Yeah. That that's amazing that that was still in that film that later on in the process. That some people in post production hadn't just like shut that down by that well, point. Well, no one knew, did they? Well, no. I suppose Shane Black just kept it a secret. Um, I understand. But Shane, being... Shane, Shane Black's kind of come out now and said that he's spoken with the guy and he was actually kind of, he claims he was duped into believing that the offences from years ago were not as severe as they actually were. 
and he's now kind of severed his friendship with the guy. Do you believe that? Um, no, I fucking don't. No, neither do I. No, I, I absolutely do not. But, you know, the world keeps spinning. <laughs> um, should we go on to Critic Quote Awards, mate? Yeah, let's do it. Um, my best description is from Jose Martin from El Antipenultimo... I knew I knew I'd get this wrong. Um, I've been practicing it for the whole of today, and I've got it wrong still. El ante penultimo mojicana. I mean, mate, it's it's a it's an established thing on this podcast that you when it gets to the best description, you get tongue tied. But why would you not try and help yourself by picking a slightly less stressful name? To because read? I wanted to break the pattern. <laughs> I wanted to break the pattern, and then I thought by setting myself a challenge. I'd then break it. But no, I fell back into my exact same problem. But no, I'm going to nail this, so it's fine. Um, so he says, uh, it may not be a great film and its stories and the story's originality suffers, but it's shot with a very good rhythm and it hits the right nose when re- notes when recalling the strengths of the original Predator starring Schwarzenegger. So yeah, I agree with that. I think that it's, it's, it's not the best film in the world. Um, it really doesn't have the most original story, um, but I think that it is like I was finding myself in the cinema gets getting swept up by it. Um, yeah, same. I, yeah, it's, it's that exact popcorn action movie feeling that, like I said, I wanted from the Meg. I think I wanted from Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. It, it like it did shit action right. Yes, definitely. Right. Um, my guy says more or less the same thing. It's Peter Hartlaub from the San Francisco Chronicle. And he says, best of all, Shane Black understands the geography of an action sequence and the advantage of an R rating. Yeah. I completely agree. I think he, um, this is quite a gory film. It's not over the top. I personally could have, would like, I hoped for a bit more. Um, but then I'm, I'm a bit twisted like that. I kind of want to be as <laughs> fucked up as possible. I wanted to see someone, because you know the, the Predator's got like those weird kind of trifecta spinny blade things. Yes. I wanted to see him like pick someone up, maybe even like a fucking child, just to get really dark, and like gut them. Do you know what I mean? Like actually just watch a, a Predator like shred a person. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, that's what the Predator films are supposed to be doing. And, watch- and it, yeah, it, was, it, it was pretty intense, but you know, I, I, I do agree. I think the action sequences... Um, are very impressive. Yeah, there is one bit though. Um, Sterling K. Brown, the guy who plays more or less kind of like the human villain. Um, do do you do you remember when he dies? Do you remember what happens to him? Uh, I can't. I know. I, I... Yeah, exactly. So this is something that people have been talking about online. There's a there's a, his character dies in one of the final scenes in the woods, and I think he gets shot by the thing that like the gun that he had on his shoulder. Um, like the Predator activates it or something and it blows his head off but they've been criticised for the editing of this scene because it essentially all happens within about a second and then it completely glosses over it Um, and it's it's quite literally a blink and you'll miss it moment because I didn't see him die in the cinema and I had to go and look it up online afterwards because I was like, I, I remember typing in like into Google like what happened to him? in the th- end of the film like did he just run off like because it didn't I, for me it didn't like sum it all up and they were like no 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 he died but it's just like it happened so quick that you probably didn't notice wow like that kind of annoyed me a bit yeah it definitely focused on the deaths of the main of the main couple before yeah um so uh, my most savage for some is from dan morell um, from screen junkies um, and it says watching this movie is as close to what i imagine going insane is like 
brilliant. Which I quite enjoy. But I kind of, I also kind of agree with that. Like I felt myself think, because I feel like I'm quite a rational human being. I feel like I am. <laughs> I, I really do. But I was like, yeah, all right. I was like, this whole, the whole film doesn't make sense. I, but I'm enjoying it. I, I am going insane, but I am going insane in the right way. That's what I felt with this film. Yeah, there's a bit, I think there's a bit where like, the ragtag gang like someone says a bad joke and it's like acknowledged as a bad joke and they all have this like slightly exhausted laugh and I kind of laughed quite exhausted with them as it had been a long day and I dragged myself to the cinema <laughs> to watch the film and I kind of felt myself going a little bit insane <laughs> alongside them yeah definitely. I mean yeah it's a good way of putting it uh, my most savage was from John Alensky of New York Post and he said racially offensive quips Flagrant sexism and Tourette syndrome gags all contribute to this witless, scare-free junk. Now, I think if you aren't swept up by the action, that's probably a reasonable way to look at it. (laughs) (laughs) But if it was, if the action was what you were looking for, you're probably going to look on it a bit more positively. Yeah, I can. can Um, I can see people hating this film. Very definitely. Yeah, same, same. Did you, um, did you have a best moment though? I did. Uh, it, it revolves around um, Roy McKenna, um, the the Jacob Tremblay's character. Um, it's the one scene at the beginning uh, where he is getting picked on. He's playing chess by himself, and he gets picked on by these two kids. And then his chess gets not gets knocked down. And then he's just by himself. And then he makes all of the chess boards in the room because I think it's a chess club. He makes them the exact same. Um, positions on each chessboard and just the way the cinematography works and the way the camera sweeps around him it is actually quite magical now the and i think that what they were trying to suggest with that is that he has some kind of learning difficulties um if not autism however isn't it isn't it it picked up isn't it mentioned explicitly that he has autism i think so later on i well i don't think they ever use the word autism but they essentially skate around it so much that and essentially explain what autism is that I think you can say that it is autism um, but then later on I think it could go the plot goes way too far in trying to say that he's autism is the future of mankind not that it might not be but just for the fact that that's not how you end a predator film you end you end a predator film with the predator just wanting to kill people not the predator trying to do some sci-fi stuff but I but I loved that scene I thought it was really powerful and really yeah, quite it's nice. sweet, isn't it? Yeah, you know that Jacob Tremblay. He knows what he's good at, doesn't he? So. <laughs> <laughs> um, my best moments. I had two best moments that I was struggling to decide between this morning, actually. And I actually went back online and I I, I rewatched both bits because I, I I wanted to see what bit kind of resonated with me more. They're not the somber emotional parts of the film. They're probably two of the coolest action moments in the film. Um, one of them is right at the start, like the whole opening sequence where the plane, like the alien, the, sorry, the Predator ship crashes and Boyd Holbrook's like in the middle of the jungle basically and there's fire around him and he encounters the Predator and they fight. Like that whole scene, that three or four minute scene felt like a really nice nod to the original Predator. Definitely, And it, yeah. felt, like, it felt like a three or four minute summary of that movie. Um, so I really, really loved that. But especially in that um, in that whole sequence, there was this one bit where he, like, uh, Boyd Holbrook finds, like, his, his comrade's body strung up, which is, like, the iconic scene in the original film. Um, but then 
something happens and he like manages to knock the predator onto the floor even though it's kind of invisible and then the body kind of tears and you see the blood kind of dripping down from the body and the blood drips down onto the predator who is still kind of coated in that invisibility cloak yes but the the blood like kind of fleshes out what the predator looks like as it pours onto him um i just thought that was fucking wicked that was i thought cool. that was really really inventive like i've never I, I hadn't seen anything like that before also at the end there's a bit where the predator kind of leaves this gift for humankind to fight other predators fucking spoiler alert sorry people um and it kind of attaches to this scientist doesn't it and basically it's this like 15 second shot of this armband from the predator turning this human into like the ultimate kind of like almost like a gundam transformer predator killer um and then before like then forming back down into the bracelet and clunking onto the floor um, and then it's like, how does it end? Like one of the scientists is like, oh, what is that? And Boyd Holbrook's like, that's my new suit. And like, I, I it, like so many people have bashed the ending to this film, but I think it looked, fu- I thought it was fucking brilliant. Like, yeah, I know. I got, I, I, really, I got very really, excited. I was like, oh, that's such a cool suit. I, I, I nearly cheered. <laughs> I nearly cheered. Um, but yeah, no, so that was it. What would you, what would you rate it out of 10 then, mate? Six. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, 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 I think, yeah. I, I think a solid six. A I think solid it's a good, good film. six. Yeah, it's not impressive. There are a lot of flaws. Actually, you know what? I might say five point five. Okay. Yeah. Because fair. because because we are looking at it very generously. <laughs> yeah, like, we are. It is it is massively flawed. Um, also, they have predator dogs in this film, right? And I know that sounds cool, but they're like these bland meaty looking rastafarian dogs with dreadlocks with bad cgi they just, oh they just look shit yeah like come like please if they're going to make a second one which hopefully they will and you're going to continue to expand on this and make it more and more badass which is kind of what the ending kind of tries to establish a foothold in doing please come up with some cooler predator creatures yeah i agree please please, please. i want um, i want more like actual pr- different types of predator rather than predator creatures do you get what i mean yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's 5.5 and 6. I think that makes sense. Like, it's not the best film in the world. But you know what? It, it was laughable and it was fun. And it was what I go to the cinema for sometimes. It just just, yeah. to, just, to be, just to have a good time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, William, um, what is on the agenda for this coming week, mate? Because obviously we're releasing this episode a bit late. Sorry, everyone. Um, but we will have a new episode for you on Wednesday or Thursday this coming week. Um, what are we going to go and see, Will? Um, we're going to see that film that I've just forgotten, Jake. <laughs> because I don't know, didn't know what it was. Cue it up, Will, for the punch. <laughs> I was it. trying to desperately um, search on Facebook. I'm so sorry. Right, right. We're, go- we're going to go and see, after about three minutes of deliberation, we kind of, you know, The Nun is still out. King of Thieves is still out. Um, the house with the clock in its walls is out. But none of them particularly grab us. Um, however... There's a new film with Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively by Paul Feig, who's the guy that's done Bridesmaids and Spy, uh, called A Simple Favour. Um, I was not fussed about seeing this film, but it's getting really good reviews. And the trailer and, looks fun. And, and to be fair, when I think back to it, I think that Bridesmaids was all right, but I thought Spy 
was one of the best comedies I've seen in the last few years. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Mm. Um, and Paul Feig seems to be really good at taking actresses that I just cannot stand normally, like Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy, and actually making them entertaining. Um, so I think that this film has the potential to be pretty good. Yeah, definitely, man. And light-hearted, and will gear us up ready for a very intense October of London Film Festival, tons of new movies, recording in a new space, which we will fill you all in on as we have more information. Oh, Jake, give them spoilers, you. That's, <laughs> Look the, at that's that. an exciting little development, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, nice. Um, so yeah, October's going to be a big month for us, so we thought, why don't we just cap off September with a nice, easy comedy that I can take my mum to go and see. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, that's that uh, thank you very much that is it for week 16 um, we've kind of made it here on Sunday by the skin of our teeth um, <laughs> as always please kind of follow us on Instagram to stay up to date follow us on Facebook um, we're on Spotify we're on iTunes we've started to get some iTunes reviews off you guys which is awesome um, please please do leave us a review that's kind of the, the goal for us at the moment is to get as many under our belt as possible um Anything you want to add, William? Uh, if you'd like to email us, we have 52weekfilmprojects at gmail.com. We can answer some questions. You can, it means it's our way of writing in. Yeah. Yeah, any, any film suggestions you guys have got, send them over. We will see you next week. <laughs>